Welcome to this podcast by The Rocks Church. We hope you find it challenging and inspiring. For more information, visit therocks.church. Head to The Rocks YouTube channel and you'll find some really insightful uh, sermons and messages full of biblical truth and spiritual principles and really practical uh, resources that you can apply to your life and to uh, the lives of those that you love and care about. And make sure that when September 8th rolls around, you feel ready to have that conversation. Now, of course, you don't have to wait until September 8th. You can have that crucial conversation today. And in fact, I hope that you do. Now, today I want to speak about uh, an aspect of our mental and emotional health and an element of unwellness in that area that is perhaps more widespread and more common to more of us than we uh, realize or than we care to admit. And that's the area of burnout or the phenomenon of burnout. Now, some of you may be aware that about two and a half years ago, I went through my own personal mental and emotional crisis when I experienced uh, a period of burnout. Uh, I had been leading a rather large church not too far from here. Some of you will know what that church is. And I'd been leading that church through a period of significant crisis. My wife and I had been asked to take on the role of senior leaders uh, because the senior minister had resigned rather suddenly and the church was in a significant financial crisis. And they asked if we would step in for just six months to help stabilize the ship and get it back on course. Well, that six months turned into three and a half years. But by the grace of God and the goodness of His people, we were able to navigate that season and right the ship and get it back on track. The problem is over the course of that period, it took an enormous toll on my soul. And so I can remember getting to the end of 2019. I'd been leading there for three years. And I went with my family back to South Africa to spend a month with our family there to celebrate Christmas. And about two days into that holiday, I hit the wall. And I don't know how to describe it other than it felt like my soul collapsed in on itself. I just began to feel deeply depressed. I was exhausted. I felt anxious. I was struggling to sleep at night. And to be honest with you, it caught me off guard because when we had left, I wasn't feeling that way. I was tired, but I wasn't feeling completely depleted. And so I thought to myself, well, not to worry, I'm here for a month, I'll just rest, I'll relax, I'll recharge, and I'll be ready to go by the time I need to return to Perth. But we got about three and a half weeks into the holiday, and I wasn't getting any better. In fact, I think I was getting worse. And suddenly it dawned on me, you know, in less than a week, I've got to get on a plane, and I've got to fly back to Perth, and I've got to step back into that role of leading the church, and I suddenly began to feel deeply anxious. I started having panic attacks. I would wake up every single morning with my uh, heart beating, you know, those hot kind of palpitations, that feeling of fight or flight where your adrenaline's pumping and kind of like you had just woken up out of a nightmare. Uh, I was getting chest pains. I was feeling completely exhausted. No matter how much I slept, I wasn't feeling replenished. And I was just starting to feel overwhelmed. And so eventually I mustered up enough courage to send off an email to the chairman of our board and I said, Houston, we've got a problem. Right? This is what's happening to me. This is how I'm feeling. I'm not feeling ready to come back and step back into the role of leading. And fortunately, our chairman was so 
understanding and so helpful. He said, listen, Tim, you just focus on getting your family back to Perth. And when you're here, we'll sit down and we'll work out a way forward, uh, which we did. And so when I got back to Perth, they mobilized the team uh, who were able to step in and manage my absence. I ended up taking a three-month unplanned, unexpected sabbatical so that I could just focus on my health and my wellness. And then I returned to work in a kind of staggered, graduated way through a formal return to work plan. And then over a few months following that, I had some ongoing conversations with the board about the future of the role and my part in it. And the end of all that conversation was I decided to resign from that role and step out into what I'm doing now, which I happen to really love and enjoy. And so what I wanted to do today is just share with you some insights that I learned through the process of that experience and through the process of my own recovery in the hope that firstly, it will inspire you to do the same. Because I do believe that one of the most helpful things that we can do with the unwanted and unexpected and imperfect realities of life is to sit at the feet of our own experience and to learn from those experiences. To ask ourselves the question, what what am I discovering about myself and about God and about my faith through this particular experience? And I don't know what it is that you're having to navigate mentally or emotionally or physically. I'm not sure what kind of imperfect reality life has thrown at you, but I do know whatever it is, you can grow through it, you can learn through it if you're willing to sit at the feet of that experience and ask yourself, what is this teaching me? And of course, I also hope that some of what I share with you today might be helpful to you in your own journey. Uh, If you happen to be here today and you're feeling mentally and emotionally well, then I hope that some of what I share with you helps you stay in that place of health and wellness. And if you're here today and you're feeling mentally and emotionally not well, then I hope some of what I share with you today is going to give you maybe some strategies to take steps towards health and wellness, or maybe even just manage whatever condition it is you're managing. But I hope above all that our conversation today inspires you to have some courageous conversations with the people you love, either about their mental and emotional wellness or your mental and emotional wellness. The truth of the matter is we won't all experience long-term depression or long-term anxiety, but more of us than we realize and more of us than we care to admit will experience the reality of this phenomenon called burnout. And very often it becomes the precursor to much longer, more protracted seasons of unhealth and unwellness. So I hope that what I share with you is going to be helpful. So here we go. Here's a few things that I've learned along the way. And this is really me just sharing my heart and my reflection. Don't think of this as a sermon. Think of it as a conversation. And the first thing that I discovered is that burnout is real. Burnout is real. And I say that because there is a tendency in all of us to dismiss and diminish and deny the reality of an experience like this. It's almost like we feel like we don't have permission to acknowledge it when we're experiencing something like this. And there are people who say incredibly unhelpful things like, oh, it's all just in your head, mate. Or you just need a holiday. Just take some time off and you'll be fine. Or they say, you know, this is life. You just have to toughen up and suck it up and get on with it, right? Those are really unhelpful things to say. The reality is this phenomenon is a real experience. And I say that also because I'm aware that in the medical profession, this term burnout is not preferred. So general practitioners and other medical professionals are reluctant to use the term burnout 
principally because very often the symptoms that are associated with burnout could be indicative of something more significant like an underlying terminal illness or something like that. So rather than just stick the label of burnout on your symptoms, they would much rather do a thorough assessment of your symptoms to make sure that there isn't something else going on. But that said, in 2019, the World Health Organization for the very first time listed burnout in their 11th revision or edition of their international classification of diseases. And they classified it as a workplace phenomenon rather than a medical condition. And listen to how they defined it. They said, burnout is a syndrome conceptualized as resulting from chronic workplace stress that has not been successfully managed. It is characterized by feelings of energy depletion or exhaustion, increased mental distance from one's job or feelings of negativism and cynicism related to one's job, reduced professional efficacy. Now, I know as I read that, some of you are sitting there thinking, man, you just described my every Monday, all right? That may be every Monday, and that's okay, but if that's your Monday and your Tuesday and your Wednesday and your Thursday and your Friday, you need to pay attention because you may already be in the throes of burnout or you may be nudging up to burnout. The fact of the matter is, this phenomenon is on the increase, and more people than we care to admit are experiencing it. Other symptoms associated with burnout on the physical side are things like headaches, stomach aches, intestinal issues like constipation or diarrhea, fatigue, exhaustion, frequent illness. In other words, your uh, immune system just gets depleted, and so you end up picking all the little bugs that are going around up. Um, Changes in appetite, sleep, libido, these things all decline. On the emotional side, there are symptoms as well. Things like feelings of helplessness and hopelessness, lack of motivation and inspiration, cynicism and negativity, a sense of failure and self-doubt, feeling like your confidence has been shot and you're no longer certain of your capabilities, a decreased sense of satisfaction in the work that you're doing and feeling detached or alone in the world. And if these physical and emotional symptoms are accompanied by some of the following behavioral symptoms, then you really need to sit up and pay attention because it's a sign to you that something's not right. These behavioral symptoms associated with burnout include reduced productivity in everyday tasks, being active but feeling like you're not productive, withdrawal or isolation from people. So the phone rings and you know who it is, but you just feel like you don't have the energy to take the call. So you ignore it and you let it pass. Avoiding people, avoiding meetings, avoiding contact, procrastination, outbursts of anger or grief. When you find yourself crying at the drop of the hat for apparently no reason, it's a sign something's not right, something's not well. Needing substances to cope, whether that substance is a drug or alcohol or Ben and Jerry's, when you need something to keep you going through the day, whether it's caffeine or a sugar fix, needing some stimulant to keep you going is a sign that something's not right. So burnout is very real. And you may be experiencing some of these symptoms right now or all of these symptoms, and it may be a sign that you are either in the throes of burnout already or you are nudging closer to it. Whatever the case, we cannot afford to dismiss, diminish, or deny the reality of this experience. Burnout is very real. And the second thing I discovered as I reflected on my own experience is that we very often underestimate the physical impact of emotional pain. We tend to underestimate the physical impact of 
of emotional pain. See, friends, I discovered something really important, and that is that there is a big difference between tiredness and weariness. Tiredness is physical, but weariness is emotional. Right? Tiredness is what you feel when you aren't getting enough sleep. Weariness is what you feel when you aren't having enough fun. And the truth of the matter is there are actually two types of burnout, and the one is physical and the other is emotional. So physical burnout happens when you are quite literally burning the proverbial candle at both ends. So you're working 60 hours a week, and you're not taking a day off, and you're not sleeping well, and you're not eating a good, healthy, balanced, nutritious diet, and you're not taking holidays so that you can replenish your energy. Physical burnout happens when your output exceeds your input. And you just simply are not replacing your physical energy as fast as you're expending it. But emotional burnout happens when you find yourself navigating protracted periods of stress. Or you find yourself caught in the middle of an ongoing relational conflict. Or you find yourself feeling feelings of resentment. Either towards God or your spouse or a friend, or a colleague, or someone significant in your life. In fact, I reckon resentment is the number one cause of emotional burnout. Resentment is like a big black leech. When it, when it attaches itself to your soul, it just sucks all the energy right out of you. And that resentment could be directed to God. It could be your spouse. It could be a friend. It could be a work colleague. It could be a situation. But whenever you find yourself sliding into resentment, Know that it is going to drain the energy right out of you. And that is why it's possible to experience the symptoms of burnout, but only be working two days a week. Because not all burnout is activity-based. Some of it is emotional. Now, the fact that we are psychosomatic beings means that what happens in the body is going to affect your mind, and what happens in the mind is going to affect your body. So sometimes it's hard to discern whether the root is physical or emotional, but you've got to stop and ask yourself the question. If you are feeling defeated and depleted, you must stop and ask yourself, where is this coming from? Is it because I'm working too hard, too many hours, not enough rest, not enough sleep, not enough food? Or is it because I'm wrestling with a deep relational conflict or a deep sense of resentment or because I'm navigating ongoing protracted stress? Where is the root? Because if you don't identify the root, you're not going to know how to respond properly. Uh, there's a really good book that I want to recommend you get your hands on called The Body Keeps the Score. It's all about how uh, physically impacted we are by emotional and mental trauma. And in this book, they highlight what happens to the body when you are carrying a physical or uh, a, a mental or emotional weight. And the truth of the matter is, your body is going to feel the effect of whatever that emotional or mental strain is. You can't separate your soul out from your body. You are going to carry it physically in you. And if I learned anything through my experience, it was the value of listening to my body. I had spent so much time up here in my head that I had lost touch with my body. And I had to get out of my head to get back in touch with my body. Because for 18 months, my body had been yelling at me. Something's not right. Something's not right. Something's not right. But I was so out of touch with my own corporeality, my physicality, that I, I didn't know how to listen to my body anymore. And so we underestimate 
the physical impact of emotional pain. And if you're going to navigate your way towards health and wellness, you have got to pay attention to your body. Get out of your head and get in touch with your body. All right, number three, the third thing that I discovered as I navigated my way through this, and perhaps this was something of a reminder, is that you have to invest in your rest to be at your best. Sorry, I'm a I'm a preacher, right? I can't help but, but rhyme things and do all these rhetorical devices. Okay, you have to invest in your rest to be at your best. In other words, you've got to make rest a non-negotiable. It has to be an absolute. It's got to become a priority in your life. Now, I had to go and a kind of radical rethinking of how I understood rest because I saw rest as something that we get to do at the end of our work. I saw rest as reward for my labor. But the truth of the matter is rest is not reward for your labor. It's the foundation of your labor. In other words, we don't rest. We don't work for rest. We work from rest. Rest is the starting point. It's from where we should begin. That's why in uh, the Old Testament, when God was giving national Israel the law and, and guiding them and shaping their collective life together, he said to them as a matter of, of principle and a matter of, of, of prescription, you need to practice this thing called Sabbath. You need to take 24 hours a week and you need to set that time aside to enjoy the fruit of your labor, spend time with those you love and honor God. But that Sabbath day was the first day of the week, not the last day of the week, right? Because you have to begin from rest. Isn't it interesting that God models this priority of rest for us himself in the very beginning in Genesis? It says at the end of God's creative work, when he had created the, the world, on the seventh day, he rested. He rested. Now, God obviously never gets tired, he never grows weary, he never grows weak, and yet he chose to rest. Don't you find that interesting? That God chose to rest even though he wasn't tired. Why? Because rest is about more than just replenishing your energy. Rest is about carving out time and space in your world to enjoy the fruit of your labor, to spend time with the people you love, to enjoy the good gifts that God has given us, and, and to just simply um, relax. I know that for many people, that's a difficult thing to do. But it is such a helpful principle to practice, to carve into your week a 24-hour period where you just retreat from responsibility and obligation and you enter into a place of rest and a place where you get to relax and enjoy the fruit of your labor and enjoy all these brilliant, beautiful gifts that God has given us. And in that process, we do three things. We cease, we release, and we increase. That's what Sabbath is all about. Cease, release, and increase. Cease your work, release your worry, and increase your intimacy with God. Just That's what those three things are. It's just cease your work, release your worry, cast all your cares on Him for He cares for you, and increase your intimacy with God. That's what Sabbath is all about. And it's such a good thing to practice. And so I had to, I had to rethink my understanding of rest and I had to make it a non-negotiable absolute and prioritize it and build it into the fabric of my week, into the fabric of my life. And so that's something I'd done um, that was incredibly helpful. Now think about this for a moment. Do you know that we spend almost a third of our lives sleeping? 
Think about that. You spend almost a third of your life sleeping, and we know that sleep is critical to every aspect of your physical and emotional health. So, so why don't you go out and get the best bed you can possibly afford and upgrade your pillow? Do you know that when, when, my, when, when I came out of this particular experience as part of my journey towards wellness, my wife and I said, you know what? Our sleep experience is not optimum. We need to improve it. So we went out and we bought a new bed, the best bed we could possibly afford, and I bought a $300 pillow. I kid you not. You must see this thing. It's amazing, right? It's the best pillow I've ever owned, and it's got all this stuff inside that cools your head, and it, oh, it's amazing. It's the best money I've ever spent because we came to realize sleep is such a big part of our lives and such an important part of our health. It's worth the investment. You've got to invest in your rest, right? Turn to your neighbor and say, it's time to invest in your rest, <laughs> right? All right, and then number four, finally, last but not least, okay? Through this process, I discovered that receiving love from others can be as hard as showing love to others. Receiving love from others can be as hard as showing love to others. You see, sometimes we think that loving others is the challenging thing. Because sometimes people are unlovable or annoying or offensive or whatever the case may be. So we think that the call to love others is the challenge. But do you know that it is equally difficult to allow yourself to be loved? And what I discovered was when, when I, I realized that I was not coping and I was not doing well, it suddenly dawned on me, if I put my hand up and I acknowledge that I'm struggling, I'm going to let a whole lot of people down. I'm going to inconvenience my team back at church. I'm going to inconvenience the church. I'm going to inconvenience my family. I'm going to become a burden. And that realization meant that I sat on that email for days before I finally hit send. Because I felt like I did not deserve to be an inconvenience. I felt like I didn't deserve to be a burden. I felt like I was letting people down. I felt embarrassed. I felt weak. I felt like a failure. And I felt like I didn't deserve to be on the receiving end of other people's love. Now the truth of the matter is I was surrounded by people who loved me, who cared about me, who wanted to help me, who wanted to come alongside me and, and, and journey with me to health. But opening myself up to that love cut right across the grain of my pride and my self-sufficiency. And so I struggled to receive it. And the truth of the matter is if you're going to receive other people's love, you've got to be willing to humble yourself. And acknowledge you can't do it on your own. And if you're struggling mentally or emotionally, you're going to absolutely need people around you. And friends, the truth of the matter is putting up your hand and acknowledging that you need help, that you're not coping, that you're not going to manage on your own is not a sign of weakness. It's actually a sign of strength. Because it takes humility and it takes courage to put your hand up and say, I need help. Acknowledging that you're struggling with your mental and emotional health is not a sign that you lack faith. Because faith is not a vaccination against the realities of life. Right? Faith in Jesus is not an immunization against hardship and difficulty and adversity. Faith in Jesus is just choosing to put your trust and confidence in God in spite of the difficulty and the adversity. You see, it's not a sin to be sick. It's not a sin to be sick physically. It's not a sin to be sick emotionally or mentally. 
And so when you find yourself in a situation like that, you need to know that you are not abnormal. You are human. And these things happen to us as humans. And as humans, we need one another. And we need each other's love. And we have to be open to receiving that. And if you're feeling like you are struggling right now with your mental and emotional health, I know that there are people who are able and willing to come alongside you, to help you, to pray for you, to support you, to encourage you. We want to be able to do that as a church. And I know that there are friends and family in your world who will want to do that for you too. If you're willing to raise your hand and say, I need help. I need help. And you know what, friends, at the end of the day, the best gift you can give anyone is the healthiest version of you. The best gift you can give anyone is the healthiest version of you. Your family, your church, your friends, your work. So when you take time to give attention to your mental and emotional health, when you invest in your rest, when you put up your hand and you say, I'm struggling, I need to take time out, I need to take time off, I need to give priority to my wellness, that's not a selfish thing to do. That's one of the most selfless things you can do. By investing in your own health and wellness, you are loving the people in your life well. And so don't let guilt or fear or shame stop you from doing what you know you ought to do. And that is giving priority to this aspect of your life. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more great resources and to keep yourself up to date, head to our website. Visit therocks.church.com.